Welcome to The Square, your podcast from the Iowa League of Cities, bringing you current and important topics from around the state to your town square with our hosts, Mickey Shields, the Director of Membership Services, and Katie Wheeler, the League's Business Relations Coordinator. Our hosts bring you topics that matter to your town square. And welcome back to The Square, everybody. Katie, how are you doing? Doing good. How are you today, Mickey? It's good. Um, as we're recording this, it's early March, and... It just so happens this week we've had we've been above fifty degrees a couple times, so I feel like everybody's spirits are lifted, which is oh. always the, the case around here <laughs> this time of uh, year. Yeah, coming out of um, what ten days ago it was like high of negative five or something like that. Yes, it's things are looking up. We're doing <laughs> yeah. good. Yeah, and thankful to be in March. No kidding. Our kids I- were uh, running around the yard last night. And of course, with the snow melt, it's just a, a big pile of mud and soupy uh, grass. And so <laughs> they came inside the house just head to toe covered in mud, but can't even say anything. They, they, they've deserved it or they've earned it. Yeah, no, I totally agree. It was a long stretch there of being a little too cold for me. <laughs> yeah, a little too homebound. Yes. So what's going on at the league these days? Well, let's see. You're heading over to IMMI soon. I am. Yeah, the City Managers Conference, one of the, one of the two annual conferences is being held in Iowa City in uh, mid-March here. So looking forward to that. It's one of our first events back in person, and there's a lot of safety precautions still in place. But it is exciting to see people again and um, have uh, somewhat normal conversations, even if we have masks on. At least we'll be there together. So I think a lot of people are looking forward to that. And it's always a great educational event as well as the the networking side of it. So that'll be fun. Yes. Also, and then uh, we, let's see, what else? The Nuisance Abatement Conference is coming up in May, right? That's right. Yeah. May 12th in Denison. And that is something um, just like the city managers conference that was canceled last year. So we're very hopeful to have a pretty normal nuisance abatement conference this year. And that is, um, we've done it a couple times uh, started a few years ago when um, there's just a lot of concern and a lot of issues out there with our membership with nuisance properties. And I think it's the, the change has been, there's always been nuisance properties, but, uh, and people don't mow their lawns and stuff like that, but uh, a lot more properties are falling into complete disrepair or even being abandoned. And so we uh, created a conference to kind of just really zero in on all the issues that go with nuisance properties uh, it's been well received, so we're ha- very excited to get back and host that in May, and um, we'll announce all the details soon. But we'll have a pretty good lineup of education and speakers for that. Yeah, I've I went to that one year, and if your community hasn't had a chance to go to that, I would really recommend it. It's a, it, I think that's a good one day training event. You can learn a lot there. Yeah, absolutely. So, <clears throat> it's also uh, our legislative session right now. Uh, it's a lot going on, and we always tell all of our listeners and our members to subscribe to Legislative Link. That is our weekly e-newsletter. It goes out every Friday and kind of summarizes all the legislation that is important to cities. If you get that email, you know what I'm going to say in, in that it's it's quite lengthy these days. Uh, there's a lot of legislation <laughs> that is proposed um, right now as we speak, and I'm sure there'll be more that affects cities and some important stuff like tax increment finance uh, is on the table. So I would definitely encourage all of all the listeners to get engaged, try to understand the legislation as best you can and how it impacts your city and then communicate with our team, Robert Palmer and Daniel Stoller, our government affairs guys, as well as your legislators uh, to let them know how the various legislation impacts your city. Um, That's really the way to convey uh, the positives or negatives of any of the proposed legis- legislation that comes out. So check that out again every Friday. Um, it's a really good newsletter to keep you informed. Uh, another big thing that's happening in March, it's Mr. Shield's birthday. Oh, boy. <laughs> <laughs> and I when think, is your and birthday? Mine is also in March. Yeah. Both, yeah. And I also <laughs> think Alan's birthday uh is in March. Too. We have a busy mu- birthday big month, month for birthdays yeah. at the league in March. The uh, the queen of the office, Shannon Busby. Yeah, you know, um, listening to this episode, she had a birthday. She says she turned thirty nine again. 
So that's yep. that must be fun to just continually be in your thirties. Um, but yeah, it's a I'm it's still a busy... in my thirties. <laughs> yeah, you got you. You're a legit thirty. <laughs> yep. I am. Uh, I'm over the hill now. Or over the whatever. I'm you call getting it. a it's little just... too close, but yep. Yeah, I, my fortieth was last year. So you can do the math. I'll be turning 41 here in uh, a couple of weeks. Uh, and that's, that's not very exciting. I'm going to tell you that right now. <laughs> it's not the most exciting thing in the world. No. But, um, yep, that's, it's coming. It's going to be fun. Got to find a way to celebrate <laughs> responsibly. Uh, <laughs> All right. Yep. So, uh, well, I'm sorry. Before we go on, there's two other things happening that we want to talk about that are kind of related. That's our annual conference. Um, we always talk about this, and we are planning to have our full annual conference as normal as possible, September uh, 15th through the 17th in Corville. And uh, so planning is underway. League staff, we've been working on lining up the workshops and speakers, uh, all the other events that go with our conference, the president's reception, the exhibit hall. Uh, the mobile workshops, all kinds of great stuff. And uh, we're very excited to do that. Again, we missed out on last year in person. We were able to hold a virtual annual conference, but I think like a lot of folks, we really, uh, really enjoy having a normal in-person event. So that'll be again in mid-September and we'll have a, all kinds of information coming out over the next few months as we head into summer and really start ramping up the registration. So take a look on that. Uh, as always, stay informed with League Weekly, our website. Uh, that's where we tend to put out our, all of our information. Social media. There Social too. media. Yes, of course. Sorry. Twitter, Facebook, those fun places. Mickey's not there, loves. but the information <laughs> Facebook is. is no. <laughs> Rearview mirror for sure. That place was. Uh, <laughs> whew. Nope. But Twitter, yeah. I'm still, I'm still a Twitter guy, but I'm a lurker. I don't, I don't oh. ever post anything. I just read. I'm the same way, actually, so I don't have much room to say anything. <laughs> yeah, I don't want people coming at me. Not that I would ever say anything controversial anyways, because, like, it's No, nobody would come after you. You're a likable guy. Nobody follows me anyways. Like, who cares? <laughs> who cares what this guy says? Uh, All right. Who is going to join us today? Maybe well, we are very fortunate. We are very fortunate to have a guest uh, from the city of Humboldt who... I think arguably has one of the best beards in the state of Iowa. Katie, would you agree? <laughs> Absolutely. I, I saw it, I don't know, last week on a meeting and I was impressed. Yeah, it's pretty good. Okay. Keep going. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, we have Travis Gedgen with us today, Humboldt city administrator. Uh, he is, uh, I don't Travis, how long have you been with the city of Humboldt? Uh, just celebrating my five-year anniversary here not too long there you ago. Go. Congratulations. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. Yep, they still <laughs> Yeah, exactly. They're, they're still having me around. They still pay my paycheck. That's great. Yep. <laughs> well, welcome to the square. Uh, let's start by hearing a little bit more about your background. Uh, where did you grow up and go to school? Maybe tell our listeners something about yourself that, uh, you know, that not many people would know about you. Anything fun like that? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Oh, great to be here. Um, you know, I started my my route down this path by uh, really lived in the country all my life. Life never lived in town. Uh, never thought I would, huh. but uh, uh, went to graduated from Western Dubuque High School over on the eastern side of the state. There. Mm -hmm. uh, Again, lived in the country all my life. Once I graduated from there, I moved on to uh, the University of Iowa and went to Iowa City with aspirations of becoming an attorney. And like some of us do while you're there, you kind of get exposed to some new things mm -hmm. and new ideas. And so after graduating with a political science degree, I decided to kind of change course and re-enrolled and Got an economics degree from there as well because uh, late in my late in my political science endeavor down there, I had a, a professor talk to me about you know we were talking about some other options for political science you know if it's not law what else do you do? Yeah. Because uh, you know I was starting to get serious with my my now wife Tara and you know I really didn't want to have those long hours that you see of that attorneys have all mm -hmm. the time and you know 
boy, was I wrong. <laughs> I mean, the city administrator, it's the same hour. It's, I say the same hours, but I can tell you if I call an attorney here in town on Thursday afternoon, I'm not getting anybody because they're all playing golf. <laughs> but, uh, you know, we do, of course, have the added benefit of, um, you know, public pay and public criticism. <laughs> right. Yeah, <laughs> really exciting. Yeah. <laughs> But no, it's been a, a great move. Uh, after my economics, I went down to Drake. And by went down, I commuted, actually, and drove to Des Moines three days a week to get my master's in public administration. And then after several years, it took me about three years to finally break into a, a city role. Uh, I was the deputy city clerk for Tiffin mm-hmm. for almost a year before moving to Kansas as the city administrator of Cherryvale, which was a great community to cut my teeth on community of now 2,300 people approximately in its glory days had roughly 8,000 to 9,000 residents, but that was in 1904. Oh, wow. So you want to talk about nuisance. nuisance Yeah. Yeah. And for a community of 2,300, had full-time police, fire, and EMS. Oh, my goodness. Mm. Wow. Yeah, you, don't you want see to that talk often. about shoestring budget. Yeah. So you you need to get really efficient with your tax dollars in, in that type of a setting. So, really? Goodness. Yeah. Great community cut cut my teeth yeah. on. and But as I said before, about five years ago, I was lucky enough to be hired the city of Humboldt, made my return back to the state of Iowa. And, you know, my wife, now four kids up here. Yeah. Love my kids. Love, love them dearly, but, you know, don't know I'd recommend for <laughs> They could be a handful. Yeah. Um, especially with, you talked about something that people might not know about me that I've actually been working on. Um, I, I'm kind of frugal not just in city budgeting, but also in personal finances. I've been working on a 520 square foot addition to our house since number four came along for over a year now. Wow. And Exciting so, stuff there. Did you get a building permit for yeah. that? Oh, definitely. <laughs> you know, even, a, even a driveway permit. You know, like We don't require yeah. one. I don't care. Give me <laughs> right. one. Right. <laughs> wow. That's um, fun. But yeah. And do you live no, in town now? Yes, yes. Yes. And yep. now I live in town and, you know, it's, it's, it was a little bit of an adjustment, but uh, it's great to be able to offer, you know, my kids have the ability. I work two blocks away from my house. Wow. The elementary That's school great. is two blocks away from my house. Mm-hmm. You know, and we're a community of nearly 5,000 mm-hmm. people. So it's not that we're all concentrated in in one tiny area, but that was the main reason of choosing our home. Actually, is its proximity. We have a we just completed a one point five million dollars streetscape project in our downtown, and we're a block off downtown, mm-hmm. so great access to to restaurants and on those nights when you can get away from four kids and get a sitter, but. Uh, that happens once in a while. Yeah, yeah once in a blue moon. <laughs> yep. <laughs> uh, that's great, though. You picked a pretty good community to raise children, and Humboldt's all. I always enjoy coming up and visiting with you all. And it's, it's been too long. I need to get back up there, see what's been going on. It has on. been a while. Yeah. So that kind of leads us into our topic, uh, main theme of this episode anyways, and uh, public improvements, which is something – uh, every city has to deal with at some point. Every city has to work on their roads, their bridges, facilities, utilities, parks, trails, sidewalks, uh, you name it. There's there's nothing that lasts forever. Uh, so whether it's just annual maintenance or eventually a complete upgrade or, or reconstruction, uh, every city is going to have to deal with those types of projects. So um, Perhaps some of our listeners may not know everything about city government, uh, even though this is a Iowa League of Cities podcast. Uh, but I do. We have actually had a, a fair number of citizens listen in, believe it or not. So maybe explain from a city manager's perspective the various projects your city has each year to kind of maintain or upgrade your infrastructure. Absolutely. 
you know, and I certainly don't claim to know everything about city government. What? And I like to think uh, <laughs> no, no, pretty no, good no. at it, but uh, <laughs> yeah, we're, that's why we're all League of Cities members and we continue to go to <laughs> right. Ooh, right. I like the plug, Thank Travis. You. Thank, Thank you. you. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So uh, here at the city of Humboldt, we've, you know, on an annual basis, we, everyone of course wants to see streets. You know, that's what it's above ground and it's visible. And, you know, Mickey, you talked about, or, or maybe it was Katie. We've been above 50 degrees here a couple times this week already. And it's forecast in the future. Yeah. So potholes, pothole yeah. season. Oh, is upon yeah. us. Well, that's a constant reminder as we're wrapping up budget that we need to plug in money for streets. Mm-hmm. I have a, an excellent council that acknowledges that uh, you know, just what's on top of the surface that's not the only thing that needs to be addressed. So uh, we do a really good job on um, maintaining water leak locations. And we do an annual water leak detections to figure out if we've got water loss within the city mains and uh, to really pinpoint those locations, especially if we're looking at any kind of street reconstruction or, or even maintenance in the area. Because the last thing we want to do is have a, a water main break under brand new asphalt, have to cut it out and yeah. patch in with a new new section. But that is the nice thing about asphalt is you can cut and patch fairly easily, mm-hmm. but it does still give you a seam. Right. And you don't. So we really try and look at the, the full depth before we really address those improvements on the maintenance side. Sometimes you got to have those really difficult conversations with the members of the public or, or maybe even your elected officials that, and this is something, again, we try and target. Sometimes elected officials like to say, well, let's pick this quadrant of town and we'll rotate throughout the four quadrants every year. And, you know, we haven't found that to be very efficient because if I wait an extra year on a street that needs a, a full depth replacement, guess what next year's fix is? Still a full depth replacement. Yeah, it's not going away. <laughs> not going to get right. any better. But, you know, we've got some that, if you've got some surface scaling, that maybe a villain overlay or even just an overlay would be acceptable this year. If you wait another year, you're going to get partial depth guess where we're putting our money right where we try and interject our funds at that last possible year before it becomes more costly of a repair in the following year. Mm -hmm. If you get me. Yeah, absolutely. And and so that's a, that's a difficult conversation to have sometimes Mm -hmm. is that, you know, I understand your street is bad, but it's not going to get any worse next year. And, but your neighbor's street over here, that one, if I hold off until next year, I'm going to have to pay twice. We as a community are going to have to pay twice as much to fix that next year. Right. And I mean, if you ask any resident what the most important street in the community is, you know what they're going to tell you, right? <laughs> Not their neighbor's street. It's their street. Yeah. It's their street. <laughs> right. So uh, again, lots of, lots of times that leads to difficult conversations on the maintenance yeah. side. No doubt. And I think it's like you touched on this. It's what is really hard for a lot of citizens and even council members and sometimes city staff to understand like there's competing needs at all times that it's roads, it's bridges, it's sidewalks, it's then you get into city facilities, utilities, like it never stops. It just never stops. Um, And what may be incredibly important to a certain block on the you know of neighbors because their street is really in poor condition or it's been several years since it's been patched over or anything like that and that's all they can think about and rightfully so but on the other side of town it could be even worse you know there may be a road that's even gone longer uh, and it's just that's that's the that's the, the hard part for cities is trying to balance out all those demands so on that point what do you, what do you all do in humble to, to kind of like take a look at all the different stuff that you have on your list and try to fight, figure out a way to prioritize and, and plan out future improvements? 
Yeah, so that's uh, how do you find all <laughs> yeah. this stuff? That's a uh, well, when you figure that out, make sure yeah, you let me know. Yeah. All right, <laughs> but no, absolutely, we've got a limited amount of resources, you know, contrary to what the public may believe. Mm-hmm. You know, we can't raise taxes anymore to pay for this and that. Uh, you know, we've got set road use tax, we've got the 810 limit. So, even if I wanted to pull up everything out of the general to get it over. I'm still limited. I got to pull from somewhere else. Mm-hmm. But uh, the past several years, we do rely heavily on our local option sales tax. And the count, the community has supported that. Uh, and it was actually just renewed this past year, again, bringing in roughly $600,000 a year. And the proceeds all have to go to public infrastructure. Okay. Uh, my predecessor, Aaron Burnett, uh, utilized that for, we have... Uh, one city-owned bridge in town that crosses the west branch of the Des Moines mm-hmm. River, and that financed that project as well as some federal funds. And since then, we have continued to put every dime of it, uh, essentially every dime. There may have been a, a little bit here or there, but essentially every dime of it back into surface improvements. Because road use, even with the increase that we saw here a few years back, we're still nowhere near the revenue needed to be able to maintain Mm -hmm. our streets. But the city has done a a fairly good job of taking a look at our our debt service. And I, not that I'm a big fan of taking on debt for maintenance, Mm -hmm. but sometimes it's a necessary. So if we're looking at bonding for, you know, our, our rec center infrastructure, for example, we, with our brand new rec center, uh, working with the donor there, we had to put in roughly a million dollars of infrastructure that, of course, we bonded mm-hmm. for to, to place. But looking at what our debt schedule looked like, we saw that we were going to be retiring pretty significant amounts of debt here in the near future and, and structured an additional amount to borrow for not just street, but also a pretty significant water main mm-hmm. repair section along highway 169 and trying to keep that levy fairly similar Uh, we've been going down quite a bit actually the last several years Uh, and so the council's done a really good job of of incurring good debt to make sure that we continue to maintain uh, the level of streets that we have but it is kind of a constant struggle because something unique to humboldt and our streets here, every street, nearly every street in town is 37 oh, feet wow. wide, curb to curb. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. I'll wait for the gas. <laughs> yeah. oh, why is that the case? <gasps> <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So for for some of our, if, if there's listeners that aren't in city government, 37 feet wide, that's, I mean, you're building a highway. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the normal width and, is what? 30? Uh, if I remember right, Sudas is even less than a residential side yeah, street. Residential. 26. 26, yeah. Is that why you yeah. moved there, Travis? So your kids can <laughs> practice driving on nice wide streets? <laughs> uh, well, you know, it, it definitely opened my eyes to the true cost of 37. Right, no wide kidding. Oh, uh, yeah. And uh, no, but that is actually something the community very much prides huh. itself on are the extremely wide tree lines. Yeah. And, and tree lining them also brings mm-hmm. in its unique struggles. Yep. Now you've got a root system that's mm-hmm. everywhere in the right of way. <laughs> and so that bodes into sewer right. issues. But back to the 37 foot wide street, we've made some changes here as of late not just on the replacement side, but even our, our snow removal. I don't know a lot of communities that, that do this, but we actually put wing blades on mm-hmm. all our plows. Oh, yeah. Because you take an 11 foot blade on the front of a snow plow and you do the right. math, 11 foot blade on a 37 foot wide street. You got to do four passes to be able to get the, the whole thing right. clear. Right. So now we throw an eight foot wing blade on there. Eight plus 11, 19. <laughs> now you're getting there. We can, we can get there. We can get there. So, uh, 
um, you know, cut our snow removal time mm-hmm. in half. Right. Innovative city but, management uh, right there. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so we've, uh, that's been a, a pretty well-received change from a staff standpoint as well. Uh, we've actually bought and retrofitted existing snow plows as well with the wing blades because it does, it does help us dramatically in, in time on snow removal. Yeah. But I saw my first wing blade this year. I'd never even seen one. And I'm impressed by those drivers. I will say you're, especially if all of your guys are doing that, that's pretty good. Yeah, that's uh well, snow removal in its own. Yeah. <laughs> I laugh because, you know, we get the phone calls after a, a heavy snowfall. And of course, everyone used to plow snow. <laughs> yeah, they all know what they're talking about, right? Yeah, everyone's a street engineer. <laughs> but if you've never pushed snow, that is, especially if you get wet, heavy yeah. snows, you're, you've got a, a you know, Newton's law, right? Every For every action, there's an equal and opposite reaction. Well, if you're trying to push the snow to the right, that snow is also pushing you to the yeah. left. So people don't... Uh, some people don't realize that that's there's an art to mm-hmm. it as well. They're almost driving sideways at times. So yeah. I've heard they've never let me uh, get in the plow <laughs> in my city days. <laughs> so which is the, which was the right call? They also didn't let me get tased, yeah. even though I wanted to. So <laughs> that says a lot about me. what yeah. is wrong with you. I don't know. <laughs> I was like in my twenties. Oh, yeah, you know, maybe Travis could arrange that. I'd watch <laughs> that. We should do that at conference this year. <laughs> well, I think one of one of our one of my colleagues, I think Jake Anderson, actually tried to organize that. For I a, know a fundraiser. <laughs> uh, the insurance folks are like, ah, oh, better not, better not. Yeah, uh, you, you really want to think that, right? Or, or don't get me wrong, I I might pay to see Jake ride a taser too, but <laughs> yeah. Oh man, <laughs> yeah. So, but with those. Yeah, so other changes that we've looked at with, um, you know, we did a life cycle analysis to council. We've got some recent subdivisions here, both uh, city-initiated and, and private development, uh, with private development being the latest, because the city, um, shortly after my arrival, <laughs> I may have made a kind of a big splash where it pointed out that a 37-foot-wide street in a residential subdivision that's essentially a dead right. end, probably not necessary. <laughs> <laughs> Especially when the homes are having three stall garages and yeah. driveways, two cars long, probably not necessary. Mm-hmm. So we did a life cycle analysis cost on, on uh, 37 versus 31 versus 28 to show what that exists extra six feet or or nine feet what that truly costs us as a community and and that really opened a lot of eyes on on council side as as well as members of the community that are are we really willing to pay an extra eighty thousand dollars a block for six feet Hmm. so um we have changed that pattern our last two subdivisions are now only 31 foot wide, which is still pretty massive. Yeah, really, for, for a, residential. A residential, essentially dead end, but it's it's a little bit more sustainable. Yeah. And that's what we're trying to achieve. Right, exactly. So one thing, too, I think well, a lot of people don't understand, especially if we have any uh, citizens listening in on the podcast here, of just kind of what it looks like to do a public improvement project, you know, infrastructure project, street project. So there's a lot of planning and funding, but what does it look like from your eyes as a city manager uh, to just get a project started? You know, you, you go through your planning process, but then what are like the actual mechanics to get that street paved? Like, what does it look like along the way for the city? Right. So, Obviously, we've got to go through, you know, public bidding process, mm-hmm. you know, as required by the state of Iowa. And 
you know, more times than not, that does play out fairly well for us. We do have, uh, we are benefited by Blacktop Service. Uh, they're headquartered here in Humboldt. So we do typically get fairly good rates for surface yeah. projects. And, and even on full depth projects where they're providing sub numbers, we, we get fairly good rates mm-hmm. there as well. But we start the planning process and if it's you know green development, we're working hand in hand, of course, with the, the property owner, which just as of recently, we've, we've seen our first private subdivision created here in, in many, many years. But the city of Humboldt also has a nonprofit housing corp that has typically owned the land that the city has placed infrastructure in and recouped through TIF. All of our the city of Humboldt's growth in the past 20 plus years is a direct result of TIF. Mm. So uh, hands off any <laughs> legislators that might be listening. Uh, you would stop every bit of growth that the city of Humboldt would see for the foreseeable future. But, you know, that green development, you work with the property owner, you worked with work with the engineers. And we also want to take not just that short-term growth into consideration, but of course, long-term. We don't want to put ourselves in a position where we don't allow any right of ways to get to adjacent developments that might occur. We want to make sure we maintain some kind of access point. Right. With our rec center, yes, it was the rec center is the only, I say the only development. I mean, that's a 71,000 square foot rec center, but it was built on a 17 acre parcel of land that was privately owned. And so as we're putting the infrastructure in for that rec center, we're also positioning it for future development throughout the rest of those 17 acres. We're talking water mains, make sure they're, they're located in positions that they can be extended easily. Sewer mains the same. Uh, storm sewer improvements. Yeah. You know, we, we want to make sure that uh, we size uh, retention no, excuse me, detention, not retention. <clears throat> we don't like standing right, water. Right, right, <laughs> yeah. We want it to drain away. Right. <laughs> but uh, detention, we size detention basins for development of the entire area so that as we're not, as we're growing incrementally, we're not having to also necessarily make those those incremental adjustments on, on stormwater because in... Western, you know, there's many areas that that water runoff is a is a big concern, right. but we've got we've got some drainage concerns in the area, so we want to make sure we take those into consideration at the onset. Mm-hmm. And then, so we of course go through the the planning process, working with engineers, staff, property owner, get it out to uh, put it in front of council. You know, this is the estimated cost get it out to have council set public hearing, hold a public hearing. Believe it or not, typically don't get anybody in attendance that says this is crazy. <laughs> and so we do put it out to bid. And and again, we have fared fairly well in a lot of our, a lot of our improvements and have seen good numbers. So good. then award to the lowest bid and away we go. Yeah. Yeah. Project management, that's a whole different segment. Yeah, gonna, yeah. We're going to have to book another episode if you I know, I know. Gosh, I mean, yeah, because we could just, simply even like a simple looking project can have all its twists and turns and delays and whatever. So it's, yeah, you're right. That That's a whole other segment for sure. Um, so wrapping up, last question we have for you, Travis, and then you, you can get back to running your city. <laughs> it was probably a bit more important than this, but um you know, as a city manager, you're constantly wearing different hats and there's a lot of pressure. Um, we don't have nearly enough time to get into all the other stuff that come, probably comes before you on a day-to-day basis. Um, but what what would be your advice for managing all the demands that come into the city and, and come into the city manager um, from the community? And, you know, how do you continue to, to take in all that and, and still provide quality service? Well, like we talked about before, Cities, we have limited resources. Contrary to what the public may Mm -hmm. believe, we do. We we have limited resources and revenues. And even among those 
some of them are dedicated to specific uses. I can't, <laughs> we have a, you know, our, our downtown streetscape project that we utilize TIF revenues to, to offset the, the bonding for Joe Q citizen comes into the office and says, this is crazy that you're spending $1.5 million in this five block stretch. You need to take 1.5 and spread it across the entire town. Well, now I got to explain TIF and how that works and that this $1.5 million doesn't exist to be able to be spread around among the entire town. Uh, same with developments. You, you have those conversations, but the more information that you can give the public and explain, I'm not saying they're going to understand necessarily. And they might leave and say, ah, it's a bunch of BS, but um, you know, that's our job. That's our, our job is to help educate the public and help them understand that the decisions our elected government or elected officials are making it is really the they have the community the community's interests at heart. Right. You know, they're they're trying to take a neutral perspective. It's uh, we've pointed out that. <laughs> My neighbor, I have said to him before, we had a street resurfacing project that had stopped at my, uh, it literally stopped at my property line. <laughs> so the neighbor on the other side of me says, well, why didn't you guys keep going? I said, I'm sorry you live next to me, but my street will probably be the last one ever. <laughs> right, right. You want to be looking well, like you're getting some kind of freebie. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. So um, typically that's going to be the case. Yeah, no kidding. Well, it's a lot of fun, I'm sure. And probably not as fun as being a lawyer and getting out on the golf course on Thursday afternoons. Uh, but city management yeah. has its own ways of being fun and rewarding. It does. It, you know, at the end of the day, you know, I go home, I've got four kids. And like I said, we, we live two blocks away from you know the school that has a, a joint city park with them that, that's our next biggest infrastructure challenge. You know, how do you how do you replace a 30-year-old playset, a wood structure that's massive? Uh, to replace it today is about a half a million dollars. How do you replace that knowing the community helped build it? And, and so when you start getting into those emotional discussions, again, that's a whole nother episode. Yeah. <laughs> Ain't that the truth? Well, Travis, thank you very much for your time and your insights and and your beard. Keep that. Keep it up. Yes, you're one of a kind. <laughs> not not a problem. I've I've been told that I uh, that I have a potential career in radio, or or maybe it was a face a for face radio. For radio. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! Thanks. Mom. Yeah, really. <laughs> Oh, well, thank you very, very, very much. Really appreciate it. Thank Thank you, you, Travis. All right, we'll talk to you soon. Yeah, it's been fun. All right, next, I am excited to welcome our next guest to the episode, Mickey. It is the one and only Derek Johnson from ISG. The legend. He is the legend. legend. And ISG is a partner program of the league. And um, there's more information about them on our website. But welcome to the square, Derek Johnson. Well, thank you very much. I I certainly don't deserve that welcome. But uh, yeah, I'm excited and uh, a lot nervous to be on here. First first time (laughs) participating in a podcast. So (laughs) thank you for the invitation. I'm sure we are very intimidating. Yeah, very intimidating. We ask very (laughs) tough questions of our guests. (laughs) Yes, the first one being, let's hear a little bit about you. What's your background? Are you from Iowa? And how did you end up at ISG? You bet. So if I'm being honest, I will tell you that I I grew up on the on the border between Iowa and South Dakota. And uh, if I'm in South Dakota, I say I was born in Southeast South Dakota. If I'm in <laughs> Iowa, I say that I was born in Northwest Iowa. So, uh, but really I had, a, I had an Iowa area code 
and, or I'm sorry, a South Dakota area code of 605 and an Iowa address and grew up uh, on the South Dakota side of the Big Sioux River. So, so you don't really know who you are. Like, <laughs> I, I like to say I, I can just, you, you got to use both. So, uh, right, right. yeah. That's cool. Yeah. So, so how did you um, uh, work your way to ISG? I know you've got a little city government experience along the way. I, I do. I do. So I was, let's see. So went to, grew up in Akron, Iowa, and then like many engineers went to Iowa State. Um, spent a few years there and we don't need to talk about how many, but spent a few years <laughs> Very there. Very productive and years, I'm sure. <laughs> productive, 100%. Right. right. Uh, I went out to Chicago for uh, about eight years and spent the first eight years of my career out there. Uh, love Chicago, great place. I tell people it was a great place for a young single guy. It was a great place for a young married couple. And our son was born in July of 2011 and we moved back to Iowa in December of 2011. So we're in our in our 10th year back here in Iowa. Well, we're glad so, to have you. Chicago yeah, it's been. It's been great. I, I just, I, we couldn't be happier being back in Iowa. And um, so one of the things that drove me back to Iowa was uh, I worked a lot on the, on the private sector side when I was in Chicago and um, was eager to work for cities and to spend some more time in the public sector. So coming back to Iowa provided that opportunity. I worked at a small firm in North Central Iowa when I first came back. And in that work, I met ISG, I actually competed against them and uh, got to meet a few of those folks and uh, really enjoyed that interaction. And then baby number two was on the way and I was living in the Des Moines area and working in North Central Iowa and spending more time on the road than I think my, my wife, Kristen, appreciated. So uh, I, I left that job and went to work for the city of Urbandale and spent a year there as a city engineer. So I got to meet yeah. Some really cool people work on the city side and really enjoyed that. But then um, the folks from ISG came back and asked if I would help them open an office in Des Moines. And uh, I took that opportunity in the summer of 2014. So we're coming up on seven years of having a location in Des Moines and um, have grown in that time from, from one to just over 50 people now. It's been a a wild ride and I'm certainly yeah. glad that I've ended up at ISG and, and we certainly enjoy working with the, with the league. That's cool. Yeah. It's amazing how quickly the, the ISG has grown just in this, oh, these yeah. last, what, seven years you said, cause I, I can remember when you and our, our good friend, Bill Goldie were kind of cutting into the, the Iowa sector and uh, meeting you guys and being really impressed with the work that you were doing and the, the firm. Um, and it's just amazing how, how much it, the firm has grown. And I think you got offices in what Waterloo and, uh, Storm Lake. Is that right? Absolutely. Yep. So we've had our Waterloo office for about, uh, three, three years, I believe in Waterloo and, um, and Storm Lake was a, was an acquisition and became part of the firm in 2012. So, um, great offices and, and good folks that run those offices and Tom Graft and Storm Lake and, and Tim Verhane over in Waterloo. So. Sure. It has been some fast growth and it seems like a long time ago, but certainly, certainly a lot of fun and owe a lot of that success to partnerships with uh, cities across the state. Yeah, that's cool. So tell our listeners what you all do. You know, I think people kind of generally understand what engineers provide, but like when a, when a city's looking to do something, um, you know, what, do, what do you guys uh, provide? What like, what's, what's kind of the process for you all as engineers? Yeah, I think it's it's easy to answer that question by providing a list of services. So so we work on things from streets to utilities to uh, planning, whether it be capital improvement planning or master planning. Work on the parks and rec side of the side of the equation as well, and and facilities and water and wastewater treatment and and those kind of things. But I think the the biggest thing that that we try to do for cities is to to truly try to to be a partner and to listen to what's going on in the community to put ourselves in the city's shoes and then find a way to make our clients' lives easier. And that client is, is often the city staff. It also is the council, it's the elected officials, and ultimately the residents of the community. So um, I think it's our, you know, the biggest thing that we can do is, is to listen and then to help make our clients' lives easier and leverage the expertise that we've developed over the years. And, and we've been in business. This is our 48th year in business. So um, 
but to leverage that expertise to be able to provide information and um, ideas and, and alternatives to cities so that they can make the best informed decision on behalf of the residents. So really we use that experience. We gotta listen, understand what the community is looking for, provide some good solid answers, recommendations and information, and then council and, and staff get to make those, make those tough decisions and um, move projects forward. Right. So earlier we talked to uh, someone you know well, I'm pretty sure, Travis Gedkin from Humboldt, and he talked a lot about road projects because that's something that's um, been a big deal in his community and just kind of like what they look like, what look at um, from the city's perspective and, and obviously a lot of road maintenance and we, as Travis talked about it, we're hitting a pothole season. Um, so what do you all do when you try to help a city out with, especially like a road project? I'm assuming you go out and try to look at the quality of the roads, the condition of the streets, and come up with some plans for the city to sort of address those issues. Yeah, you're you're exactly right. I think one of the things that are really where we start, and especially with Humboldt, and they've done a, they've done a really been really proactive in their uh, look in their streets program. So we'll we'll do an assessment and look at the look at the streets in town, and and that gets updated periodically. But then it's really a, an exercise in in planning, both on the primarily on the capital side of understanding the work that needs to be done and the all communities face the the challenge of having limited resources and generally more work that needs done than resources are available. So um, with Humboldt, we've we've both gone through that list and really try to identify based on street condition and traffic and a number of factors, where are they gonna get the most bang for their buck and where does their uh, where do their roadway dollars go the farthest. So in doing that, we'll help set some priorities and develop a program, usually looking ahead four or five years. And obviously that's a fluid plan. That's That's gotta change because as Travis mentioned, pothole season is real and sometimes uh, different segments of road will fare better over the winter than others. But um, I think with the roadway projects, especially when you look at your uh, residential streets, it's really planning that capital expense out in advance and then being able to see what's coming, get the plans out in a in a timely manner, so you're you're being proactive versus being reactive and and chasing that next uh, that next problem spot. Uh, you can identify that early and program that out, so you can be yeah. better prepared for it. What's the number one thing a city should do to get a project done? If they have an important project, what is it? What do they do? Yeah, I'm a big believer in having the right team, and I think that starts not only obviously as an architectural and engineering firm, I think we're an important part or having a good design team is a, is an important part of the team as well. But also for communities, I think when you have community champions, somebody from, from the community that is influential and a believer and a proponent of the project, having the right staff or council as part of the team, uh, obviously having a, a good design partner and someone with some expertise who's done this kind of project before, but also you've got your, you know, so oftentimes you'll need the, from the financial side, partners there, the legal side. And I know there's uh, several partners that the league has would certainly agree that it is important to assemble the right team. So I think that's the number one thing is get a team of people that you trust and then you look forward to working, working with. Cities and city staff have no shortage of things to do. And I think it's important that your team be somebody that makes your life easier, people that you look forward to working with and getting that right team together, I think can really be the difference in a project going well and being something that you, you look back at that experience positively. And uh, if you don't have the team and they're not functioning right, I think those projects can become a real challenge. And, and sometimes we see communities where they dread the next project and it's our goal to make the projects be something that communities look forward to. At the end of the day, you get an improvement in town. You get a street that's better or a park mm -hmm. or we get a new trail and, and that should be viewed positively. Right. That's a great point. That's a, couldn't have said it better ourselves, just the, the, the value of having a good, strong team. I think you did leave out the part about where the team goes to a local establishment to, uh, you know, further the, the, the understanding of each other and, and, setting the vision for the community that's a critical part and supporting, <laughs> the, supporting the local economy so that's you really, right. that's you really right. have to buy local <laughs> yeah. really getting a feel for the community 
That's, that's right. What it is. That's yes. Right. Yeah. Speaking and we of, we all know that a lot of decisions get made in those places. So that's right. It's been uh, it's been far too long. We got to find a find a time to frequent one of our uh, local Des Moines places around here once uh, things I, get back to normal. I am ready. And IMMI is, is that are we is that on? Yeah, yeah. We're, we just talked about it earlier in the episode where um, a city manager decided to get together and that's happening in a couple of weeks here um, from this recording. So it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's exciting. And there's still a lot of concern, of course, we're not going to be stupid, but uh, I think uh, a lot of people are very excited to get back together, network, share stories, share experiences. And hopefully as the year goes on, and especially by the time the league conference hits, we'll, we'll really be pretty close to, normal whatever that new normal looks like but hopefully it's relaxing and fun for everybody yeah i i couldn't agree more i think that's one of the cool things about the iowa league of cities and our just our our city administrators and our community leaders is they really do have a tight-knit group and it's always fun to see them at the fall conference and and just to see there's no shortage of conversation and not only the networking is great but also i think there's a lot of information shared back and forth and i know people are looking forward to being able to sit down and understand what other communities are doing and how they're addressing it and how they're handling it. And right. um, I am looking forward to it. I yeah. will be there. Sounds good. Well, Hey, <laughs> thanks for jumping on the square with us. We really appreciate your time. Absolutely. Thank you again for having me. Yes. Thank you, Derek. Thanks Katie. All right, Mickey, that wraps us up for today's episode. Thank you. And thanks to all the listeners as always. Stay tuned. Uh, we'll have a, another episode next month. You can follow us on Twitter at Iowa League and League Weekly comes out every Tuesday. Legislative link comes out every Friday. Uh, and Kate, Katie, anything else you got? Uh, we'll uh, expect. I'll expect to see lots of birthday wishes for Mickey in his email. And, this, and back right back at month. you. <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> we'll see you guys later. Yeah, we can do